Did your mother do this to you? Give you a few strands of colorful yarn and then teach those chubby little childhood fingers how to weave that yarn into a beautiful little piece of tapestry. God bless our mothers. I need you to access that skill today. Access that skill for this entire little mini-series that we begin today because what you need to do is be able to take separate colorful strands and weave them together into a single tapestry. It's in the weaving that the teaching will be found. So today, three strands. Colorful strand number one. The celebrated observation of the Spanish-American philosopher George Santayana. Born 1863, died 1952. Santayana studied under William James at Harvard University and eventually became the one to write the first major defense of a branch of philosophy called pragmatism. But Santayana is remembered today not for any of those writings, but a single line that has been often misquoted. Let me show you the right way to quote this line from the philosopher George Santayana. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now, why should that astute observation matter to the likes of you and me? Let's weave in colorful strand number two. We'll call this human. Very human leadership. Have you noticed how our society today, the world over, is fixated on leaders? Fixated. I got two friends from the country of Greece. They live here in our community. I can't imagine how they're feeling about their motherland as it melts down before our eyes economically. That headline is about leadership. We just came out of, a, of a, an election in the UK, the United Kingdom. Some of you are from Britain. Three running for, for a prime minister. A hung parliament now. Leadership. They're watching the United States. How does the new leader in this country respond to crises? BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Leadership. Times Square, New York City. Abandoned van. Leadership. Iran and the development of potential nuclear arsenals. Leadership. The world is fixated on leadership. That's strand number two. Very human leadership. Even ecclesiastical leadership. Rome has occupied the front pages of our papers for weeks now because of challenged leadership. It won't make the front page of any paper, but there will be in the back page of a paper or two, not Rome, but Atlanta. There'll be a story carried on the back page about a little denomination that gathered this summer with leaders from all over its global span gathering in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta for what they'll call the 59th session of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. And the issue will be leadership. Very human leadership. Colorful strand number two. Colorful strand number three. Divine leadership. You've got to weave them together. Unfortunately, you can't put divine leadership under the, the intense microscope of uh, personal examination. Because it's nebulous. It's, it's tangential to the ancient stories we have. And so what we're going to do in this mini-series is we're going to go to some ancient stories. Ancient kings. We're going to watch them. Five of them. I remind you that this community of Israel that God raised up had a solitary mission. A passion 
bequeathed by God to take the truth about God to an, an entire planet. Once the truth had reached the planet, then God would set up his kingdom on earth. They kind of muffed that mission. And on the way to losing it, a series of kings, five of them, will take them in chronological order. Very human leaders. But we're not watching the kings. We're watching the divine leader behind the kings or the lack of his being behind them to understand how to face our own journey of leadership today. Santiana's words makes you wonder, will they... Be proven true, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We've got a miniseries starting today. Let's put it on the screen. We're going to call this what? The Santiana Factor, Tales of the Kings, part one today. No study guide. You're going to get this big idea. You won't walk out of here with a question in your mind what the big idea of today's teaching was. Trust me, no study guide today. But if you're watching on television, we're delighted to have you. And if you'd like to get all of these, you're here can't get them all over these next few weeks. You go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. Didn't want a Sabbath to go by without being able to quote that little web address. Go to that website and you'll look for the uh, mini-series, The Santa Ana Factor. Five kings. King number one, let's go. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is devoted entirely to the kings of a broken monarchy, a divided monarchy, called Judah and Benjamin. While you're finding Second Chronicles 14, I've got to tell you about the name of this king. They're not sure what his name means. Does it mean Myrtle? I'm kind of hoping it doesn't mean Myrtle. Does it mean physician? It could mean physician. In the Hebrew, it could also mean Yahweh is healed. But this much we know. Historic reign. 41 years longer than David, longer than Solomon. One of the longest reigns, this man. A reign that begins with such promise but ends with such regret. Open your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 14, please. Let's, let's plunge into the Santa Ana factor out of the tales of the kings. You didn't bring a Bible. Oh, you've got to track this one. Grab the pew Bible in front of you quick. Let me give you the page number 305 in your pew Bible. That'll be the New King James. I'm going to be in the NIV, New International Version. Let's go. King number one, verse one, for Second Chronicles chapter 14, and Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. That would be Jerusalem. And Asa, that's what we're going to call him, our anglicized way of referring to him. And Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for ten years. He's the third king, by the way, in the divided monarchy. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, meltdown, and the ten tribes of Israel race to the north. They said, we're having our own kingdom. Judah and Benjamin remain together. The Messiah will come out of Judah and Benjamin, not the ten. Ace is a key. And how would you like to have the next line as the first line in your obituary? You know, I'm thinking one day they're going to be reading my obituary somewhere if time lasts long enough and Jesus doesn't come soon enough. I, wouldn't mind, I don't think you would mind either. Would you mind, verse 2, to be the opening line to the story of your life? Look at verse 2. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. His reign is launched with this warm approbation. Wow, God is just blessing this leader. He did what was right and good. Tell you what, you don't even have to be a spiritual leader. Be anybody. Wouldn't you love to have that as a part of your life sketch? And she did what was right and good in the eyes of Almighty God. He did what was right and good. Ah, 
But then, talking about house cleaning, hold on to your puke, because here it goes. Boy, he doesn't waste any time, does he? Watch this, verse 3. And then, verse 3, Asa removed the foreign altars and the high places, and he smashed the sacred stones, and he cut down the Asherah poles. You want to talk about house cleaning? It's hard to believe that within three generations of David, the community of faith has already prostituted herself into embracing the surrounding culture and religion of the Canaanites. Those Asherah poles, those are the phallic symbols. And if you don't know what a phallic symbol is, it's the male reproductive organ. It would be like our homes today. It would be like our community of faith today swallowing the shining lure of this culture's hypersex focus so that our homes are stocked with soft sex scene DVDs and violent sex scene and crime scene video games and sexually pulsating musical videos. That's what it would be like. That's what we have in our homes. That's what it would be. It would be like choosing Lady Gaga to become the worship leader of our community of faith. I don't know if you've ever met Lady Gaga. She's quite a Gaga lady. I was, I was talking to my PowerPoint guy. He's a young guy. He just graduated. No, he's getting ready to graduate. No, he just graduated. He's got a few classes to finish up. And a uh, great guy. So, Jonathan LaPointe. I say, hey, Jonathan, do you know what the word gaga means? He says, well, it's not. It's just something that the baby says. Gaga, goo, goo. I said, let me tell you something. Baby, uh, baby boomers grew, grew up believing that gaga is something filthy that's on the floor. Don't put that gaga in your mouth. Very fitting for Lady Gaga. It would be like having her as a worship leader. The community has morally melted down. Sex now is the theme interwoven. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 12 describes Asa's expulsion, expulsion of all the male shrine prostitutes that were operating in the land. You're out of here. Adios. Yeah, house cleaning. And then our young king, spiritual leader that he is, initiates a very politically incorrect action. Can you believe this? Take a look at this. Look at verse 4. And then Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey His laws and His commandments. Isn't that something? He commands them. He commands the nation. He commands the community of faith. He commands those, all those under His leadership to seek God and obey His commandments. Can you imagine how that would go over today? In this politically correct and sensitive generation, how would that go over? I command you to worship God. Oh, mercy. But, hold, 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 hold it. Could it be that that is in fact what the community of faith is needing, even missing today? You think about it. I'm going to give you a little time to brood over that. This moral meltdown that is making the headlines in the newspapers in the West, at least, is a reminder that even religious institutions, even religious institutions compromise their moral authority when their leaders decry spiritual abuse or sexual abuse but refuse to confront and prohibit the practices that span the sexual sin in the first place. Not so King Asa. In a thoroughly countercultural way, he commands that all his people, he commands them to seek God 
and to obey His commandments. Now, hope. time out. Let us agree this much. I'm not pushing this too far. I'm, I'm with you on this one. Let us all agree that no man, no woman can command the conscience and free choice of others. But we miss the point if we make that the point. Because here's the point. Listen carefully. The point is that it is the domain and prerogative and responsibility of spiritual leaders to publicly summon their people. I can't even use that word command. It just, it just catches in the throat. So I'm not going to use it. It is the responsibility of a leader to publicly summon the people to seek God and obey His commandments. And I know the moment we think of this, we immediately, we think of that kind of bold and radical leadership move, and we immediately say, you know, that's the exact opposite of what you need to be doing. If you do that, you will shrink your people. You will debilitate your community. They'll be jumping off the ship. And yet the very next story in the life of Asus shows they aren't jumping off the ship. They're swimming to get on. Take a look at this. You can't believe it. Counterintuitive? <laughs> to the max. Look at this. Asa is just returning from a mighty victory over the invading Cushite army. Okay? That that, that, that victory is, is a spiritual victory is made sure by the chronicler by his insertion in verse 11, same chapter. He inserts Asa's prayer before the battle. He wants us to, the chronicler, wants us to be sure and note this was not a military victory. This was a spiritual victory. Look at verse 11. Then Asa, this is before the, the offensive. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and he said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. I tell you what, it is a bold, raw faith kind of prayer for a leader to pray, but he prays it in front of his people. Everybody knows that the dependency of his leadership is solely on God's shoulders. And God honors that dependency with spectacular success. And now Asa's coming back from the battle and he's met by an obscure prophet. We will never hear about this prophet again. This is the only time he appears on sacred history. Drop down to chapter 15, verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. And he, the prophet, went out to meet King Asa and said to him, Listen to me, O Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Two short lines to remind every spiritual leader that his, that her leadership is entirely derived. God is the ultimate and supreme leader. Follow him and he will bless you. Choose to follow another way and you reap the consequences. What are the consequences? They are the consequences of being bereft of, a, of an harvest, of flourishing on multiple fronts in the life of that community. Not just the spiritual front, by the way. Follow him. And he will follow you. Wow. And you know what we think, don't you? Ugh. You're going to lose it all if you get too, too fanatical here. Look at verse 7. Prophet's last words. But as for you, king, be strong and do not give up. For your work will be rewarded. Now, watch not only how Asa responds, but watch how the masses respond to his response. Hold on now. This is what's so amazing. Uh, let's pick it up. Verse 8. Then when Asa heard these words, 
and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded the prophet. He took courage. And he removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Verse 9. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them. Why are they there? Watch this. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. Isn't that amazing? You're, 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 you're kind of the, the intuitive response is, hey, listen, you get that bold and that extreme in your spiritual leadership, they're going to be jumping off this ship like the droves. Counterintuitive. They're coming on because the word's out. We've got a leader. God is anointing. Now, look, we can all be following along in this and say, well, it's great to be talking about the 59th session coming up. No, forget it. Forget it. You're a leader. If you have a drop of influence, you are a leader. Are you in a marriage? You're a leader. Are you in a family? You're a leader. Unless you're the youngest. Are you in an office? You're a leader. Do you work in a hospital? You're a leader. Do you teach? You're a leader. We are all leaders. Don't try to push this off on somebody else now. Let it focus on your own heart for a moment. This is counterintuitive. Take a radical stand in your marriage. Take a radical stand in your profession. Guess what? You're not losing patients. You're gaining them. Take a radical stand in your teaching. You're not losing students. You're gaining them. Counterintuitive. But we see it right here in the life of this first leader we're examining, Asa. Mercy. Wow. Most people would say, oh, that guy's gone too far. He's fanatical. She's, she's a fanatic. Get out of here. Oh, they're coming in. How'd that line go? Put it on the screen for us. Large numbers came over to him when they saw that the Lord God was with him. In this leadership selection season of the church, let the leader and leaders be chosen and elected who boldly obey God and unintimidatedly appeal to God's people to seek Christ while he is near, while he may yet be found. Those are the leaders we need. If you're casting a vote, that's the vote we need. Given the hour of history, don't you suppose God would be calling for leaders like that? Look at verse 15. And all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and He was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest. Hallelujah. The Lord gave them rest on every side. So how did Santiana put it? Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It is deeply unfortunate That this tale of leadership does not end with verse 15, but that verse 17 follows. How sad. Evidence enough that Asa did not remember the past and so was condemned to repeat it. Look at verse 17. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Isn't that something? It's a little stronger in the New King James. Let's put it on the screen for, you, for all of us here. On the screen, this is the New King James rendition. But the high places were not removed from Israel. 
Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. What an anomaly, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, on the one hand, here, here is this leader who is loyal all his days. And on the other hand, spiritual reformation that he had so passionately begun was left incomplete. He did not finish it. You read chapter 14, verse 3, and it says he took down the high places. You get to chapter 15, verse 17, and he says he left the high places up. What's going on? Scholars believe that what happened was he took the idle high places. You know, the Canaanite idol groves. He got rid of those. But he left all the pet high places that the people of Israel had assembled because they wanted Yahweh's shrine right near their house. He left those alone. He could not call his people to make the full cut. God had forbidden both. He dealt with one, but he didn't, go, he didn't follow through. Spiritual leader started on a good job, but then left it half-baked. But the high places were not removed from Israel. As Oswald Chambers once reflected on that, on, on verse 17. He said, oh, listen, forget about the leaders. Forget about Asa. Forget about everybody else but yourself. I'm going to put these words on the screen. No study guide, so you can't take this quotation home. You'll see the reference at the end. But you won't forget these words. Put them on the screen, please, from, from his classic, My Utmost for His Highest. You want to jot a page number down? Uh, the page number is 106. All right? So this is great. He's reflecting, meditating on the line we just read. Let's read it. It's on the screen. Asa was incomplete in his external obedience. He was right in the main. You know, he's mainly right, but not entirely right. Beware of the thing of which you say, oh, that does not matter much. The fact that it does not matter much to you may mean that it matters a very great deal to God. Look out. Say, oh, no, it's no big. No big deal. Look out. Chambers goes on. You see it on the screen there? You say, hey, look, I know I'm right with God. But still, the high places remain. There is something over which you have not obeyed. Whenever there is doubt. Now, I want you to hang on to this line. Sorry you don't have it in a study guide, but hang on to this. Whenever there is doubt, quit immediately no matter what it is. Nothing is a mere detail. End quote. Hang on to that thought for a minute. I'm going to run it by you. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Makes you wonder. What might there be in my life? That's a high place, unsurrendered. Let me get a little more personal with you, because you shouldn't be picking on me. Do you have a high place in your life? God has told you about it. Back in your mind, you know about it. A shady little grove tucked away off the beaten track. Just a weak little something. Tepid little temptation. Just a minor little indulgence. You know, I mean, come on, what's the big deal? You got a high place in your life? Kept in the shadows just for you. It doesn't matter? Somebody some years ago, you remember when this book came out? I, I can't even remember. I should have gone on Google to find out who the author was. But I remember the title of the book, and they gave it to Karen and me. And it's full of, 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 of you know... Dime Store Counsel for Living Life Without Stress. And the title of the book was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. You remember that book when it came out, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff? And the subtitle was It's All Small Stuff. I was, hey, come on, what's a big deal? Not a big deal. Now that may work for a life philosophy in kind of coping with stress. It's a killer for spiritual success. There's no such thing as small stuff in the realm of the spirit. 
It all matters. And that's Chambers Point. You got that little high place in the shadows of your life? You know where it is. And you're saying, it's no big deal, please. What is this? Come on. Chambers says, hey, if you're starting to debate, if you're starting to debate whether to keep that high place in your life or not, you know that's back in the corner. If you're debating, immediately, he says, quit. Immediately stop. Get it out. You can go back to God and say, God, shall I bring it back in? But go back to God and let God make the decision about bringing it back in. If you have a doubt, and by the way, the moment we got into this high place thing and something in your life, and I, you know, my mind's working on me right now, but something happened to you. The Holy Spirit has already pointed out to you in the last few moments. He's already pointed out to you what that high place is. I didn't say a word. Whatever has been revealed to you right now, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is hovering over us all, whatever's been revealed to you about that high place, don't debate it. Get rid of it. Just get it out. Then you ask God once it's out, shall we bring it back in? Let God make the, sh- make the call on that one. That's Chambers' point. We can shove this all off on leaders and say, man, would God just raise up great leaders? No, let's forget about leaders for a moment. Let's talk about ourselves as leading our own souls. Asa left a few of the high places in his kingdom and they became his spiritual Achilles heel. They ended up destroying his kingdom. Can't believe it. Destroyed his reign as a leader because he left them. Watch this. Chapter 16. Verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign. And by the way, it's probably the 36th year of the kingdom of Judah. Would actually be Asa's 14th year. Do the arithmetic. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha king of Israel went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So the kingdom of Israel is attacking. They're building a little fortification up here. Asa is desperate. Can't blame him. And so notice how subtly but surely spiritual disobedience or moral negligence turns the head and heart away from God. Now, this is brilliant if you're just a political strategist. This is brilliant. Because in the Middle East, they live, with this prophet, they live with this proverb. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Asa says, the, prophet, the proverb is right. And so he contacts the enemy of his enemy, the kingdom of Israel. Watch this. Verse 2. And so Asa then took the silver and gold. Can you believe this? Out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and his own palace. And he sent it to Ben-Hadad, the pagan king of Syria, who was ruling in Damascus. Yo, Ben-Hadad, verse 3. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. And guess what? It's exactly what Ben-Hadad does. Breaks the treaty. Basha withdraws. Asa rules. Mm. Unbelievable. This is the very same King Asa who earlier in his reign was so unequivocal in his alliance with and trust in God. Why the dramatic change? I'll tell you why. Because nothing turns the head like a half-committed heart. I repeat that. Nothing turns the head like a half-committed heart. And he's now parleying with his enemy for peace. Wow. Leave a few high places for the enemy in your life and eventually you will parley with the very enemy you once forswore. Now we're negotiating. 
Can I leave this in? Will you give me a little bit of peace? It's the old finger in the dike. You remember that uh, Dutch uh, story? Little boy put his finger in the dike. Take that finger out and the whole wall implodes. Isn't that right? It's the old termites in the wooden foundation. You've seen these barns along the highways here in Michigan? The thing is just... Why? Because the termites, termites ate it out from the inside out. It's the stuck accelerator. It's just a small piece of equipment that brought an entire, the world's largest automobile manufacturer to its knees. It may be small. It may be small. But it can kill you. One compromised high place left unconquered in Ace's reign. And it brought down his entire administration. Look at verse 7. At that time, here's another prophet who walks on and off the scene. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, or Syria, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. We could have had, we could have had Reformation plus. Why? Because look at verse 9, these most familiar words in this chapter. Now, you've heard, you've heard these words before. Verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those. Look who God wants to strengthen. What kind of leader is God looking to strengthen? What kind of human being is God looking to strengthen? The eyes of the Lord rove, range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God says, I can get a half, I can get a half deal anytime, night or day. I'm not looking for half deals. I'm not looking for half commitment. I'm looking for a man who has whole commitment for me in that office. I'm looking for a woman who has whole commitment for me in that, in that school. I'm looking. I'm just raging across, across the earth. Is there anybody in your neighborhood with a whole heart for me? Amazing, isn't it? But Asa left the high places in his kingdom. Let me read verse 9 again. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. But you, O King, have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you are going to be in trouble. Your leadership will be in trouble from here to the end. You'll be at war. Because it matters. Ladies and gentlemen, here it comes. You'll never forget this big idea from the life of Asa. It matters. It really, truly matters, doesn't it? The unsurrendered high places. It all matters. See that on the screen? That's it. That's the story of Asa right there. Read it out loud with me, please. It all matters. It all matters. It all matters. It did for Asa. Does for you. Does for me. Sad ending, isn't it? Look at this. Verse 12. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Now, you medical types could probably tell us, what kind of disease is this? Huh? It ends up killing him. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. 
Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Can you believe it? The guy starts out, what was good and right was all he did. And in the end, even in his dying, too proud to go to God now. Too proud. The high places. The Achilles heel. Every life. Every time. He not only died of diseased feet, he died of a diseased heart. Which, by the way, I mean, hold on to your pew one last time. Which, by the way, makes his inclusion in the family tree of Jesus utterly astounding. Can you believe that? This Asa ends up in Jesus' family tree. Jesus has Asa's blood flowing in his veins. Watch this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 8. In that long begot, 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 begot. Look at this. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Jehoram. Jehoram begot Uzziah. Asa, the blood of Asa, is in the veins of the Savior. Good news. Good news that when Jesus stretched out those veins on Calvary's tree, and by the way, that's the real family tree of Jesus. Not the one you're born into. It's the one you believe into through Calvary. When Jesus stretched out His arms on Calvary's tree, He took every single sin of King Asa to His death. That's good news for you and me. Because that means he not only took every single sin of King Asa to his death, he took every single sin of every, every frail leader, every single sin of every wayward community, every single sin of every desperate sinner. He took all of our sins to Calvary. What do you say to that? Hallelujah. Don't sweat the small stuff. Are you kidding? He sweat blood. Because there is no such thing as small stuff. It all matters. It all matters. You've got to quit Laughing it away. It all matters. Jesus. Calvary is proof enough. We matter to Jesus. Calvary is proof enough. It all matters to Jesus. The unsurrendered high places. The unrelinquished disobedience. It all matters. It all matters. King Jesus died for King Asa and you and me because it all matters. And so unlike King Asa, we must surrender every high place in our hearts, our homes, our lives.